episode 27, Ending in the Beginning. Welcome. I am John, the Ramblin' Verser for today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about William Wordsworth and Ernest Hemingway. Before we do that, a little housekeeping. How you can get a hold of us is uh, sending us an email to ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com, giving us a call at 615-431-RIT, that's 9748, or uh, visiting us at storyinstitute.com and posting on our, our forum. <laughs> The quote of the week is brought to us by William Faulkner, and it's taken from his speech at the Nobel Banquet at, the, at Stockholm in December of 1950. I believe that man will not merely endure, he will prevail. He is immortal, not because he alone among creatures has inexhaustible voice, but because he has a soul, a spirit capable of compassion and sacrifice and endurance. The poets, the writer's duty, is to write about these things. So as a poet, as a writer... Uh, Faulkner pretty much calls us out to say, hey, you know what? Compassion, sacrifice, endurance. Write about those things. Put them in way words that, that people can connect with, identify with, and it makes a difference uh, as to, as to uh, how people connect with what we're saying. So we have a big task ahead of us. It's not just putting words on a paper. It's, it's about providing meaning for that. And as a writer, we have to dig a little bit deeper at times to find some of those creative points, to find where that compassion lies. Uh, sometimes it's not very evident in society, and then sometimes the, the sacrifice and endurance piece is also uh, not readily available. So as we look inward, look for, look for writing, look for poetry, look for short stories, look for novels that really pull this out. One of the tasks that, that that we'll give after this week's quote is is really take a look at what work today does this. In Faulkner's time and before, they were comparing uh, themselves against some great writers. Who are the great writers of today? And do they live up to Faulkner's statement as far as what poets and writers are responsible for completing? This week, I thought we would take a look at William Wordsworth's Ode, Imitations of Immortality. This poem is a reflection uh, for Wordsworth on, on childhood, uh, memories, uh, nature, and the adult mind, how they connect together. Uh, let's take a look at the first stanza here. There was a time when meadow, grove, and stream, the earth and every common sight to me did seem unparalleled in celestial light. The glory and the freshness of a dream it is not now as it hath been in your turn wherever so I may by night or day the things which I have seen I now can see no more so you know as we as we get older we fail to remember some of those things of our childhood the the intensity that once was the things that used to make up our entire lives and now sometimes become a little bit a little bit less less important uh, for Wordsworth though he remembers this this celestial light, this this greatness uh, when he was younger. Moving on to the second stanza. The rainbow comes and goes, and lovely is the rose. The moon doth with delight look round her when the heavens are bare. Waters on a starry night are beautiful and fair. The sunshine is a glorious birth, but yet I know, wherever I go, that there has passed a 
away a glory from the earth. You know, as a reader, uh, really think about what that glory was. Think about what has passed. Um, it, it may be different for Wordsworth than it is for us. Now, while the birds thus sing a joyous song, and while the young lambs bound, as to the tabor sound, to me alone there came a thought of grief. A timely utterance gave that thought relief, and I again am strong. The cataracts blow their trumpets from the steep. No more shall grief of mine the season wrong. I hear the echoes through the mountains throng. I hear the echoes through the mountains throng. The winds come to me from the fields of sleep, and all the earth is gay. Land and sea give themselves up to jollity, and with the heart of May doth every beast keep holiday. Thou child of joy, shout round me, let me hear thy shouts, thou happy shepherd boy. It seems like Wordsworth is, is looking for that interconnection, that connection to a happier time, and, and he seems to have found it here. Stanza 4. Ye blessed creatures, I have heard the call, ye to each other make. I see the heavens laugh with you in your jubilee. My heart is at your festival, my head hath its coronal. The fullness of your bliss, I feel, I feel it at all. O evil day, if I were sullen, while earth herself is adorning, this sweet May morning, and the children are calling, on every side, in a thousand valleys far and wide, fresh flowers, while the sun shines warm, and the babe leaps up on his mother's arm. I hear, I hear, with joy I hear, but there's a tree, of many, one, a single field which I have looked upon. Both of them speak of something that is gone. The pansy at my feet, same tale repeat. Whither is fled the visionary gleam? Where is it now, the glory and the dream? 5. Our birth is but sleep and a forgetting. The soul that rises with us, our life star, hath had elsewhere is setting, and cometh from afar, not in entire forgetfulness, and not in other nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come, from God, who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our fancy. Shades of prison house begin to close upon the growing boy, but he beholds the light, and whence it flows, he sees it in his joy. The youth, who daily farther from the east, must travel still as nature's priest, and by the vision splendid is on his way attended. At length the man perceives it die away, and fade into the light of common day. Wordsworth's picking up pace here as far as uh, connecting to the childhood and what, what he's seen as a grown man. So I'm going to uh, continue reading here the next few stanzas so that they really get that, that essence there. 6. Earth fills her lap with pleasures of her own. Yearning she hath in her own natural kind, and, even with something of a mother's mind, and no unworthy aim, that homely nurse doth all she can to make her foster child her inmate man. Forget the glories he hath known, and that imperial palace whence he came. 7. Behold the child among his newborn bliss, a six years darling of a pygmy size. See where, midwork of his own hand, he lies, fretted by sallies of his mother's kisses, with light upon him from his father's eyes. See at his feet some little plan or chart, some fragment from his dream of human life, shaped by himself with newly learned art, a wedding or a festival, a mourning or a funeral. 
and this hath now his heart, and unto this he frames his song, then he will fit his tongue to dialogues of business, love, or strife. But it will not be long, ere this be thrown aside, and with new joy and pride, the little actor cons another part, filling from time to time his humorous stage, with all the persons down to palisade age, that life begins with her and her equipage, as if his whole vocation were endless imitation. Wordsworth goes on for another couple stanzas, and I encourage you to either uh, read the posting at Story Institute for the rest of, of this poem, um, or, or or find it somewhere on the internet. But but really take a look at what he has to say. We're just going to skip to the last part of the 11th stanza. Here, this ties this poem with the quote from Faulkner earlier. The clouds that gather round the setting sun do take a sober coloring from an eye that hath kept the watch o'er man's mortality. Another race hath been, and other palms are one. Thanks to the human heart by which we live, thanks to its tenderness, its joys and fears, to me the meanest flower that blows can give thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. Now, so, so with this, Wordsworth is, is trying to connect to that humanity, that, that mortality, but, but really uh, is pulling out some of those, those things that Faulkner talks about in that simple quote in, in his Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize speech. Your poetry task for the week is to actually write something that pulls out some of these same emotions, whether it's one to two stanzas or 11, like Wordsworth has. Really look for that epic story, where, where the emotion comes from. What kind of connection do we have? Is it spiritual? Is it religious? Is it internal? Is it innate? What, what is it that drives us? Is it more of a philosophic mind? Is it, is it just the things that we see? But connect with that essence and pull out the, the intensity of the images that, that we see. When we look at the sky, is it just sitting up there and uh, with random shades of blue and, and floating, floating clouds? Or, or is it really along the lines of white fluffy pillows of a brilliant blue expanse? You make the choice on what you're going to bring out and accentuate, but write and enjoy. So for our short story of the week, uh, we've chosen A Clean, Well-Lighted Place by Ernest Hemingway. Uh, with, with this, you know, there's many, many ways that we can take a look at the story itself. And I'm not really going to read too much of it since we covered uh, quite a bit in, in the Wordsworth poem. But really, once we take a look at this... We see that the ending of the story is really contained in the beginning. Uh, there's unity, uh, coherence, and organization within the story. Um, at first, it doesn't seem to have a plot. Uh, you know, an old man leaves a cafe. Two waiters talk about closing up. One waiter stops for coffee and doesn't sleep until morning. Uh, initially, there's a problem with the, with the structure of a clean, well-lighted place. Uh, first, our attention is on the old man. Uh, the old man then disappears. Uh, then our attention is split between the two waiters, and finally one of these has the stage alone. So, you know, as you read A Clean, Well-Lighted Place, take a look at, at the flow. Do, does it seem like it could happen uh, when it talks about uh, the, old, uh, the old man and the one waiter says last week he tried to commit suicide? 
Why? He was in despair. What about? Nothing. How do we know it was nothing? He has plenty of money. It's it's really it's a really interesting way to to, to phrase dialogue as well. It's it's a it's more of that stream of consciousness to where you're actually part of the conversation. Uh, look at how Hemingway kind of pulls out uh, your expectations as as a reader and your experience by by not putting things like one reader said, two reader said, uh, and those type of things. He trusts that that, that you know that you know what's uh, what's going on there. As you read the story, look for uh, the impressions. Look for the sense of conflict. Where does the tension lie? Is it between the old man and and the waiters, or is it between an old the older waiter and the younger waiter? Really take a look at at where uh, where Hemingway puts puts that uh, that that pressure that that conflict in there. Besides the dialogue, take a look at at the paragraphs uh, that that is close to the end. Uh, where it starts, good night, the other said, turning off the electric light. He continued the conversation with himself. It was the light, of course, but it was necessary that the place be clean and pleasant. Kind of ties back into to that title. Um, look at look at the wor- use of nada uh, within w- within that, that paragraph. Our nada, who aren't in nada, nada be thy name, thy kingdom nada, thy will be nada, and nada as it is in nada. What, what does that mean? Where's that connection? Because you know, with Wordsworth and Faulkner, we're connecting to that humanity. But yet, with this, the conversation becomes uh, more of a nihilistic uh, type uh, type of reflection. Is life really that bad to where if we don't if we don't see things quickly, that we start to we start to get more depressed? Is society in that today? Uh, hopefully not, because there are so many great things, so many great people out there today. Uh, we need to, to look into that deeper essence. The prompt for this week and something uh, something to base your writing off of, uh, you can take, take this a couple ways. The first, first, first writing assignment is to really look at dialogue a little bit differently. Use this story by Hemingway uh, to really improve your, your dialogue skills to where you don't said, said, the, said the waiter or said the old man uh, every, every sentence. Look at how you can engage your audience so that, that it's easy for them to understand who's talking when and how, uh, how, uh, how connected they are to the storyline. The second piece is, is to tie it back to, to the quote by Faulkner. Does Hemingway write about the compassion, the sacrifice, and the endurance? Or is he given up in this? Uh, in your story, choose where you want to lead your characters. Choose how you connect with with each of those pieces uh, to bring out more of a character so that you can identify with them, they make sense in your life, but they make your readers really want to get engaged and say, okay, so I I really don't want anything bad to happen to this character because if something bad does happen, I'm going to feel sad. Uh, because I've, I've connected with, with that character, whether it's a short, short story, uh, a couple pages long, or, or whether it's, it's even longer than that. Well, we've reached that sound and we've reached that time, uh, but we want to leave you with one of the, the, the short story topics uh, on Story Institute. It's entitled Storms Rising. The wind shifts and the rain pelts the dry earth below. The sky darkens and the winds increase in intensity. 
The calming drips of a slow rain as it provides tasty water to the thirsty, verdant terrain. It was light just a few moments ago. There were no cars on the road. Now, a parking lot rests on the pavement and darkness scatters among the residents of this small town. In the distance, the wind is swirling a little too naturally, a little too quickly, a little too threatening. Your main character sees the funnel begin to form. She looks around her at the constant stall ahead of her. She looks to the left and sees a man in a colored shirt and tie paging through messages on his phone. She looks to the right and sees a mother and her two small children perched in their car seats. What are her next action? Where does she go? Does she find shelter? Does she warn her neighbors? Does she represent something more supernatural? Decide on the details. Decide on the impact. Decide on the emotions to share. Post it at storyinstitute.com or share it elsewhere. But write and enjoy. And until next time, remember to imagine, enhance, and grow your stories. Thank you.